workforce and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll do the mash to discover your career smash hit from the innovator who's an expert on why companies and careers thrive. She's striking a chord with her refreshing refrain. Your dream job is no longer something you get, it's something you create. Please join me in welcoming to the show future of work and life expert, executive consultant, author, and host of the Strategic Momentum Podcast, Connie Steele. Welcome to the show, Connie. I am so excited to be on. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me. My pleasure. And because we are talking about the world of work. I like to ask each guest, what was your first job and how did that job inform or inspire your career trajectory? Well, my first job was working at Mrs. Fields Cookies. <laughs> so <laughs> in retrospect, when I think about it, um, it was interesting. You know, I wasn't just working at the cashier. I was prepping the food. I was serving the food. I was ensuring that the store was clean. And so there were multiple roles, right? So in that position, you're constantly moving and doing something. You weren't narrow in your scope. So it was interesting when, when you ask that question, like, wow, this doesn't reflect me where I like to do a lot of different things. I don't want to be bored. And in that job, you had to, and you had to learn various skills in order for the business to do well. I also was a math grader. Um, I also was a TA in graduate school. So all those things where it was really understanding um, how people were learning, how do you ensure that they are grasping the information and providing kind of that relevant communication delivery to educate them effectively, I guess things that I would have never thought of have all connected in some way. You gathered ingredients and made your own recipe. I mean, when I think about <laughs> that introduction, you learned about customers and being of service in that first job, you know, taking care of the public math. I mean, every entrepreneur I know needs some kind of math and financial or business acumen skills. I mean, you were gathering all these things and along the way, we don't always know what we're going to create with all of these ingredients. So how have you navigated this fascinating career? I mean, take us through, you know, some of these jobs and how you found your way from really executive aspirations to entrepreneur. Well, really, when I started my career, I like probably most people, you have no idea what you want to do. And being a child of immigrants, um, math was a prerequisite. <laughs> so all I knew is go pursue something in math. And through trying to figure things out and testing and learning myself, whether it was taking courses, um, different education, jobs, I was just piecing things together. And then over time, I realized, wait, you know what? There are certain areas and I'm passionate about. And it just so happens when I started a career marketing research, tech was big. And I realized, wait, consumer behavior is going to change. 
technology is going to change the way that we buy, the way that we want to be marketed to. I need to go there. I didn't know what that was going to turn into. So every role I had always seen as a way to talent stack. I wanted to go broad. The traditional viewpoint was to go narrow and deep because you're all about climbing the ladder. You're building expertise. But in me, I, I was always so curious about all the other things that were out there. And so I felt like I needed to build really the breath and go wide and add because things were changing so quickly that I felt that was going to give me the best foundation to be able to, I guess, ultimately find my fit. I wasn't sure what it, I, I thought what I wanted was just to climb the ladder. But I realized, no, ultimately what I really want to do is find fit. Find the right profession that enabled me to bring together all my skills, patches, interests, education, hobbies, into something that could be all of me. And that's eventually what led me to leaving my corporate job because at the time, um, as an executive, I had two young children and the environment was one that wasn't the best cultural fit. It was quite toxic. I, like many people who've been part of the Great Resignation, women who are working and um, were struggling to handle it all, that was me. And so with two young children at the time, a two-hour commute every day, I realized this isn't the right fit for me. So I chose to make a pivot and chose that independent path and have continued to try to find fit along the way because all of us are evolving. You are, you are, you're basis and founders in consumer insights. So, you know, we're collecting data on ourselves to be better. And I think that's really been this entrepreneurial journey. You treated your career like a story problem in math. That's what yes. struck me when you were talking. And when we think back to the basics of math, we learned how you set up a problem informs how you solve the problem and that there's always variables. And when we're thinking about nine to five and challenging the new workforce, we are coming back to the basics. And let's start with how do you define what a worker is now? A worker is someone who, I think based on their goal, first we start off, what does a worker want? Their goal is no longer the traditional definitions of money, title, power. It's really about this level of fulfillment, contentment, happiness, life success is just as important as work and work now fits into life versus the other way around. A worker is not a full-time individual. It's not your work status is full-time. It'd be full-time. It could be part-time. It could be gig. You could be a creator. You could be a freelancer. You could be defined in all different facets because today's worker we're not one dimensional. We've never been one dimensional. We've all had various different, various roles. And so today's worker is about reflecting really all of who we are. Living beyond our labels is always an opportunity. And what I find when we use labels, we install limits, limits that are often yes. self-imposed and constructs that keep us stuck. When we think about imagining this new world of work and a new workforce, and we start to challenge 
where work happens, when work happens, even to your point, who is a worker now, what are some of the most limiting beliefs you see organizations or leaders carrying right now that need to be challenged or they're keeping us stuck in place? I can't, I won't, I don't know how, <laughs> which, you know, when you get to what really holds us back in general are, are those things that I'm not ready. I'm not ready for change because what's really driving that at an individual level, which is a leader, which then again, people all make up a company. What the source of that is this really insecurity and fear that we have which is grounded in a fear of failure. If we try something different, will we fail? Fear of potentially being shamed. This anxiety around change. And there's a reason why we have change management practices, right? Because as humans, not everybody is comfortable with change because there isn't this understanding of what that outcome could be. We want predictability. And in this world that we live in where change is constant, Uncertainty is the new certainty, and we have uncertainty on so many different levels that we never had before. On the macro world, right? In, in our um, home world, uh, personally, it's hard. So if we can help people get comfortable with how to adapt to change and understand that change isn't bad, it's about testing and learning and iterating, right? It's experimentation. And that's how we will learn to get better. I'm not ready. Those three <laughs> words you used are really informative. And I think about what would happen inside of teams or organizations as we imagine the future of how we engage our customers or how we need to change our go-to-market model or our workplace policies or aspirations if we normalize the use of that phrase, I'm not ready, because that would spark a dialogue about why is that and what would it take to get ready? I mean, I think about, I just got back from hiking and I'm not the most experienced hiker. I find down to be alarming because you can gain momentum and <laughs> gravity will kick in and I just picture myself tumbling down the side of a mountain or falling off. And what I realized is I've said that out loud before on a hike with people, you know, they're moving too quickly downhill for me and gaining momentum and speed. And I've said, I'm not ready. And so instead of taking big steps and going quickly, I take smaller steps. I mean, how do you guide organizations? What advice would you offer to take smaller steps to bring people along who aren't ready? So I'm going to say there's one thing in particular, and this is almost the next step um, of advice based off of your very first guest who I remember her saying it's about listening. I'm going to say after you listen, ask yourself why. Ask why. So somebody's sharing this perspective or feeling or sentiment or directive, and you have to ask why do you believe that is the case? Because that will help you then understand the implication to you. So what's the why to me? What's the why to my peers? What's the why and, you know, the impact to the team? It helps you understand the linkage and really the thread of the root cause. 
we don't pause enough to ask ourselves, what's really driving it? And when you give yourself that time to do that self-introspection, because you're asking yourself the why, and everything is so interconnected, it will help you better understand the what. We just jump into trying to solve something without getting clarity on what we're solving for. So for me, it continues to be a data collection process. We don't always know, so ask why. And along the way, we encounter resistance, right? And what you're highlighting is resistance is an opportunity to get more curious. Besides asking why, what are some other productive questions employers and employees could be asking of each other when they are feeling stuck or when that resistance or fear really starts to show up in force? I think one of the most important questions to ask, I think this is in any situation, we have this in meetings all the time. What is our objective? What do we really want to accomplish in addition to the why? Because what I find for individuals as well as leaders in organizations, there is a gap of understanding and there's a lack of alignment on what you're trying to do and the purpose and objective, ultimately the goal. Different people have different perspectives and we haven't gotten that all out on the table. So when you ask, what is the real objective that we are working towards? How is that going to support everyone? And it is asking that line of questioning. Very simple because we all know that until we get fully aligned on the goal and objective against a project initiative, it becomes very difficult to create that momentum and clear roadmap to move forward because each group, each cross-functional team will have their approach. But we all have to work very collaboratively now in order to ensure the project goes as smoothly as possible. So I believe so much of it is getting to that. But another piece I will say is that if you have that clarity and there are all these various tactics that you've got, and maybe people are really scared, but pick the one where folks feel there is the least risk to get them started. Because sometimes we don't do the pro con pro or we're just like, wait, you know, everything feels so overwhelming. Well, what if we picked one, the one that we know is important to do it's listed, but we know that might um, it likely has the least amount of risk, but let's just try that. Because then people will get comfortable because most of us are risk averse. We don't know. Well, if folks are aligned and say this specific activity that we, that we need to do is important and it's less risky, great, let's do it. Let's see what the outcome is. Let's talk about it. And then that gives you confidence because everything is about building a level of confidence against doing the activity that you set forth to do. Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. And risk is relative. You know, what feels yes. risky to one person feels less risky to someone else. And 
you recently released some new research that revealed 52% of U.S. workers agree that their professional ambition isn't tied to being part of a company. Now, for some companies or leaders listening, that's a terrifying thought. Uh, why this shift and what should employers do to address this shift? Well, what you're hearing is that there's a greater work-life integration. We've been hearing about this for a while. I think you and I intuitively know this, but what's really important, I believe, for leaders to understand is that you have a fundamentally changing workforce, which is based on demographics. So if you look at the generational cohorts, and in particular, you have millennials and you have Gen Zs. Millennials are the largest generational cohort out of the four, some will say five generations that are out there. The oldest is 41. So if you think about it, it's not like they're 20 anymore. They are in leadership positions right now in 10 years. They are going to be in most major leadership positions. They've grown up differently. They have a different approach, belief, attitudes, motivations to what they want out of work and their life. They saw their parents work hard, really be loyal and dedicated to the company only to not necessarily reap the benefits. And they want to take control over their path. They also grew up with technology. So for those people who are in tech and who know about agile development, really sort of that mindset, that manifesto has really permeated into their lives. They live an agile way of life. They are adding stacking different applications and tools to hack their way into being more effective, efficient, productive, fulfilled. So they have always had work, so to speak, and life integrated in their life because the information they have isn't separate. Their work life is also their personal life because it's on their phone. So when you really understand your people, your audience, your audience is very different now. It gives you a different perspective of how you need to connect with them, how you need to communicate with them, how you need to motivate and engage them. And they don't want a narrow and deep career where it's all about the latter. That's not what they want. They want one that is about fulfillment, breadth and depth, integration, one where they could show all of their skills and talents. And along with agility comes agency. That's a theme you're starting to highlight. And you yeah. and I first met through an Authority Magazine interview. And I still remember what you said. I can see the cultural shift from conformity to individual agency. Not everyone is going to do it. Some people still want the traditional nine to five, which is what we're talking about this season. You went on to say, but there are going to be so many options for people to create a career that truly reflects their whole self and fulfills them. And that's when you started explaining a career mashup. What is that? What's a career mashup? What's the role of agency? Tell us more. So a career mashup is one where you are combining your talents, your skills, your interests, experience, your hobbies, all into a profession that ultimately fits you. So it could take the form of a portfolio career. We're hearing a lot about that. We've heard about that for some time where maybe you have uh, multiple professions that you are pursuing. So for some people, 
one thing you might be a marketer doing freelance, but another one, maybe you're doing a baking business. Maybe another one, you're doing a photography business and you're able to combine all of that. That makes you you. But another is what I call a super job. So there are lots of people now who've taken a nonlinear journey and they've dabbled in various areas. But we now know with the rate of change and opportunity with new roles, that there is a very unique hybridization of skills that are important to be as effective as you can in your job. So it is bringing all of your breadth of experience and roles that you've had into really combining that into these new kinds of positions. I'll give you an example. There was somebody that I met, um, it was about two years ago, a really interesting young woman who works at a pro as a product manager at a company that's all about helping the next generation of leaders. She had mentioned that she's always looking at different opportunities out there. And she saw a role at Spotify, and it was a role related to dealing with algorithmic bias. And she didn't even know one like that existed, but she said, wow, you know what? That pulls all of my skills and interests and passions because I do product manage right now, I work uh, in machine learning, I have knowledge of AI, I love statistics. It was one of my favorite subjects, but I have a passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And because of all of that, I could fit that role. But she has never pursued something that was very narrow and deep. She didn't necessarily start off in product management either. So it's because of these varied experiences that she has had, but she sees the thread, the, the interconnectivity and the relationship between them in a way that I think many of us who haven't had this kind of mindset wouldn't see. She could see the logical progression and, and the relationship to then give her opportunities that we wouldn't even thought of. Let's bring what you just said down to a practical, actionable level, because someone listening right now is thinking, I want to bake and be a career manager and a travel coach and a podcaster and a YouTube star or whatever. I want to take all these different threads and let's say people get as far as applying for a role or a couple of roles that they think could fit. How do you coach people through the process of articulating the way these divergent skills, experiences, interests, passions, and hobbies come together into something that's worthwhile and of value for that interviewer or future employer. Absolutely. One, I think you do start very specific into how does the role that, say, you're interviewing for that you're looking to fill, what is it in terms of your skills that align and deliver that value? But you also have to understand where will that role evolve based on the trends that you see in the industry, in competition, because we know it's always changing. And inevitably, it's probably pulling from uh, different um, trends that are happening, right? Because we're seeing, again, a hybridization of various things. So when you look at what they may need right now, but what might they need in the future, in light of shifts in consumer needs, in technology needs, in, in really sort of the macro needs. But you then start to realize, well, wait, this marketer job isn't just marketing. 
it's you really need somebody who has a strength in design in some way. Maybe you have a real strength in um, coding in some way because a lot of these specific functions are now working together. So the more you actually know about a cross-functional team's role, you think differently. You become a greater partner to them. You can actually help augment their skills and build stronger strategies and products together, which then open up opportunities for you to move in different areas. But the other piece I would say too is that say that you're in a position now, you've been doing great work. As a leader, there's such value in understanding your employee, your whole employee. So they may not just be doing the role that they have. So say they are a very talented developer, but they have this side interest that you never knew about, but they told you about that. And there are skills and experience in what they're doing outside of work that have a direct relationship to projects that you have right now or in the future. And you see, again, spotting those trends, seeing the value of bringing that side of them into the job that they have. They're already doing it. They just happen to be doing it not within the context of the job in your company. But they certainly have this incredible talent. Why wouldn't you leverage that? This gives that individual the opportunity to bring those two together that they wouldn't have ever thought of. So say this developer just might have an interest in writing science fiction, but they have a writing capability. There's a creativity. There's a storytelling aspect to them. How do you take that passion? How do you take that innate skill and say, wait a second, we need help. Where this, some of the areas that we have a gap in, and inevitably most people go to the specialization of a role. Like, oh, we need a content creator. It's like, well, wait a second, maybe you have somebody on your team that can actually create content. They just haven't told you that. Your story, yes, your example reminds me of a conversation I had recently with the CEO of a company, and she shared with me that from her point of view, getting to know what your employees do outside of work for fun is something that has been reinforced through the years as an empathetic trust and rapport building leadership tool. And what she discovered is the more you know about what your employees gravitate toward in their free time, the more you can bring the aspects of what they choose to do in their free time into their jobs and do it better. Now, Sherry Gerbo happens to have a big financial services company and they have, to your point, a lot of developers and programmers. And when she has people that will say, I love to do gaming or I love to bake, she will look for ways to bring aspects of that into their role because then work starts to feel like play and she studied a lot of brain science and she shared, this lights up your prefrontal cortex. It says to your brain, wow, I love it here. I feel so seen, heard, motivated and utilized. And I think about what might change if we ask more questions to understand what people enjoy 
for the purpose of helping them enjoy their work more and therefore more likely perform at a higher level. 100% use that word, you know, feeling utilized. We all want to feel utilized to our greatest capacity. And we don't want to do the same thing all the time, right? We all seek some variety. But what I see is that you're really leveraging the diversity of and uh, diversity of talent in one person versus seeing one person as one form of talent. So you need to look at four people that have four different sort of, um, it, that's your grouping of talent versus, well, one person may have five different facets to them. They're very different. And then you bring all that, you multiply that, that is incredible competitive advantage for you as a leader, you as a company. Because none of us have just one interest. It's how do you pull that to the forefront? Surfacing potential and coaching people to realize it makes me think of your book, Building the Business of You, a system to align passion and growth potential through your own career mashup. And you did this right as a guide to help professionals and entrepreneurs navigate this new world of work and marry up this intersection of, you know, your personal passion and your calling or your career. Tell us more about this system. How do we align our passion and our profession in a systematic way? So through all these podcast interviews that I had done over the years, I started to see a pattern. And what was so interesting is that they were just doing strategic planning for themselves, just like businesses need to do every year they were identifying those important trends or those white space opportunities because they were looking at the market looking at the competition and then looking at themselves but that's really what it comes down to is to create that necessary alignment and you're also constantly iterating over time um, it is creating that important research and analysis planning and execution so the strategic plan is five components spying the trends and it's all about getting that data to understand really who you are, what your value is, and where that opportunity is to shine. The second component is called creating your compass. It's where you develop a plan. So many of us, unless we have been in a role where we're doing strategy, we're never taught how to build a strategic plan. I certainly wasn't. It was something that in the jobs I had, I eventually did it. So I wanted to help give a framework so that people could organize their thoughts and be clear about what it is you're really striving for. And what are those goals, objectives, strategies, and tactics? The third component is preparing for change. When you had mentioned what gets people stuck, well, many times you have a great plan, you have great ideas, and then all of a sudden you don't execute on it. Why? Well, it's because we're afraid of change. We have fear. Exactly. So. This chapter is really about changing management for yourself. How do you push past that fear? Get into asking yourself the why so you can move forward. The fourth is about networking. We all know that we need to build a village, but it can be hard. So how do you think about strategically creating that village to support you? And how does that ultimately fit into your plan? The last is skills. Many of us focus on the networking and the skills, but in this case, the skills that I focus on is EQ. It's the soft skills. And we've seen that in various reports that you know, one of the top skills that you know, employers are looking for are soft skills, communication, leadership, influence. Why? 
because we are dealing with people. At the end of the day, we are really needing to connect with people. We want to, we need to. So it's focusing on that. And it, while it is uh, conveyed and illustrated initially in a linear sequential fashion to help people learn, it's very much an iterative system, but it takes time to figure out what that compass is, what that plan is. But once you have an initial understanding of that plan, think about how all those pieces feed into optimizing your plan. They interrelate to each other. You're always going to go through change and fear. But remember, each gate, each milestone will help you feel more confident and will help give so much more clarity into what you ultimately want to do. Well, often clarity and figuring out your next comes from conversation. And that's why I like to have a segment in the show where we replicate the water cooler office experience that people say they miss so much. So imagine you and I meet up for the first time at a water cooler in an office, I hope somewhere fabulous. Are you ready for five quick questions so we can all get to know you a little bit better? I am. All right. Fire away. Time to connect. First question. What time of day do you do your best work? Morning. Okay. What is the part of your daily routine that you most look forward to each day? You know, probably going for a walk. At the end of the day, you know, we are so focused and being outside, taking a walk, feeling refreshed, um, puts me in a different sort of state of mind. If there were no standardized work attire, what would you be wearing? Oh, geez, probably athleisure wear. <laughs> True confessions. Yes. I think this is part of people resisting return to office. They might have to give up the athleisure wear. (laughs) It's, you know, the struggle is real, right? Or I guess the stretchy pants are real. Maybe that's what I should say in this case. If you could do it. When you feel comfortable, right? You just feel better. (laughs) If you could do any job in the world, what would you do? You know what? What I'm doing right now. That's great to hear. Now imagine there are 25 hours in every day. Instead of 24, how are you going to invest that extra hour? You know, for me, I think it's continuing to spend time, more time with my kids. I get passionate about what I do. uh, And I know time is ticking as I get older. So where I can give that dedicated time and attention and support them in their pursuits. I know, you know, I'm not gonna always have them, but it would be with my kids. Time for what matters most. How can our listeners connect with you? Well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Go to uh, look up Connie Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E. S-T-E-E-L-E, or you can go to my website, uh, ConnieWSteel.com, and I'm also on Instagram at ConnieWangSteel. And one last question as we conclude, what is one small step every listener could take as soon as this podcast ends to create his, her, or their dream job? You know, I'm going to say feel the fear and do it anyway. (laughs) Because no matter what, we're always going to have fear in everything that we do. We have fear every day. But to help you create momentum, you just have to try. Feel the fear 
track trends. I took that away as a big theme. Yes. Track trends. 100%. Align your skills to the trends that you see. Speak in terms of outcome. Think in terms of value. And every skill you have is useful in some way to some organization. Thanks to Connie Steele, future of work and life expert for introducing us to our career mashups and for harmonizing the intersection of individual and collective success today on Success From Anywhere. Because success is not a destination, success is not a location, success is available to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Thanks for joining us. Oh, 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 oh,